You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. What if there was a way to level up your energy, get rid of stress, and take more control of your body? Welcome to Quantum Upgrade. This is a new technology that taps into quantum energy to help you feel amazing. Quantum Upgrade has a lot of different products that help protect you from EMF and help activate your body's natural healing abilities. You can expect better sleep, more resilience, less stress, and better blood flow. The cool thing about Quantum Upgrade is that the products are backed by a lot of heavy-duty scientific studies, and there's a new measurable upgrade. You can now use Quantum Upgrade to increase your consciousness levels between 1,400 and 2,200 on the Hawkins map of consciousness. If you don't know what that means, do some research because it's impressive, it's fun to learn about, and it's something that I've come to understand. Ready to try Quantum Upgrade? Visit quantumupgrade.io slash Dave for a seven-day free trial. Everyone's talking about red light therapy beds, and for good reason. There's a company called ARRC LED that's building an entirely new class of LED devices. ARRC LED beds integrate proprietary scanning technology and frequency protocols to shape the delivery of six different wavelengths in dose-optimized photobiomodulation. Yes, that's a lot of words, What it is, though, is that photobiomodulation improves the underlying energetics of the cells in your body. And those changes can benefit nearly every tissue and organ and system in your body. You change your cells and you change your life. For more information, visit ARRCLED.com. Today's cool fact of the day is that women can see more subtle variations of red than men can see which is because the red seeing gene is in the X chromosome. So women have two of them, but us men only have one. I have no idea if that has anything to do with red dresses and why they instill jealousy and make women feel like it's a threat, but what the heck. What if there was a way to feel younger for longer? Well, there is. Your body needs something called the NAD plus molecule to help you age well. When you're young, your body makes a lot of NAD+, and that helps you make energy, it helps you keep your DNA healthy, absorb nutrients well, and it protects your cells from stress. But once you hit about 30, your NAD plus levels start to drop. The good news is that longevity scientists have found some things that can help, like niacin, niacinamide, and niagen. They help your body make more NAD+, even as you age. All three of these are in an amazing formula called Qualia NAD+. Check out Qualia NAD Plus risk-free for up to 100 days at neurohacker.com slash Dave15 to save an extra 15%. That's neurohacker.com slash Dave15, Qualia NAD Plus. It's what I use. Today's guest is fascinating. She's an international award-winning artist and engineer, scientist, and an expert in the science of color and light therapy. This is pretty cool because I use color and I've certainly used light therapy in some of my own biohacking, especially to adjust the way my eyes worked. She's lectured at organizations like Mensa on the healing and consciousness raising effects of color, the frequency of light, and even how art affects the brain. And the thing that I'm actually most fascinated about is that uh, our guest, uh, whose name is Leanne Vignier, began her career as a mechanical engineer designing submarines and then became uh, someone who works in healing arts. So Leanne, welcome to the show. Thanks, Dave. Nice to be here. Thanks for inviting me. 
all right, I've just got to understand, how did you possibly go from being a submarine designer to someone who works with light frequencies to enact changes in the human brain? Like, that's kind of freaky. <laughs> okay, well, that could take up the whole show. Um, <laughs> let's see, Reader's Digest condensed version. Uh, used to be an engineer, didn't find that particularly fulfilling, did, kind of went the conventional left brain route when I studied at university, but I've always been very right brain as well, very creative, um, intuitive, that sort of thing. So I ended up leaving that career and I moved to Italy for seven years and I started studying all these alternative healing modalities, including how color connects with the body and the meridians, which are related to acupuncture. Do you know anything about the acupuncture meridians? Quite a lot. Yeah. Okay. So there's a direct correlation between color and acupuncture meridians. I came back to the States. I ended up going back to school for acupuncture and shiatsu. And then I had a healing practice working with cancer patients. <laughs> this is like a total Reader's Digest condensed version. Had a healing practice, then ended up kind of craving more right brain stimulation. And I started painting seven years ago. And when I started painting, people started having these really strong responses to the color in the painting. So I would have these conversations with them one-on-one -on -one about how we take in color energy, um, wavelengths of energy, actual specific, you know, scientifically validated research studies on all of this. And, um, why we might be craving certain colors, and this is all tied in with Chinese medicine. Anyway, so long story short, that ended up precipitating all these conversations. People ended up talking me into putting information about this on my website. Then I got contacted by a number of um, large medical universities to come and lecture there, and then it just kind of snowballed from there. So... You know, you're, you're pretty out there, and I say that as a compliment, uh, and that you've explored a lot of different things. Uh, you've also gone down to Peru and explored ayahuasca and, and talked about that from a medical perspective. Um, what effect did that have on your, your use of color in, in healing? Were you already well along that path when you had your... I was already well along that path. I went to Peru um, just earlier this year, so this was you know, what, eight, nine months ago. And I spent a month there and then I did a nine day ayahuasca retreat. That kind of just gave me more clarity about uh, direction, about where to head with a lot of this and kind of take it to a bigger, you know, on a broader scale. But um, yeah, it was really very healing. Have you done ayahuasca? I have I'd also done in Peru and uh, a, couple, a couple other times. Uh, yeah, and it's, uh, it, it's big, that's for sure. <laughs> Uh, and I've, I've done a lot of neurofeedback that also tends to elicit so similar kinds of experiences. Ah, uh, great. Yeah. So another question I have for you. Um, you've talked about having multiple super senses. So you're a super taster. You have a hyper, what, hyperosmia. Uh, super, you're, you're a super smell or taster. Uh, perfect pitch, which I'm jealous of because like my singing abilities are not that good. I hired a singing coach who who laughed at me and and had very, <laughs> cold, very yeah deter you from going. I mean, she, she said it so politely. She, she would say like like that was a, a nice chaotic resonance. I'm like that means it sucked, right? She goes yeah, but you know, <laughs> but it was it was polite, you know, dissing. And then uh, um, you also have a semi photographic memory and what you describe as synesthesia, where you can touch or breathe toxic chemicals and you taste them on your tongue. Yeah. 
I, I certainly have unusual senses for certain toxins. Like I, I will react to them in a very predictable way. Uh, and, and like, it's so predictable that I just don't even question. Like, it's just a sense that I've, I have, whether it's nice to have or not. But predictable. I'm just um, curious. I don't taste it on my tongue. I, I feel it like right here in my chest. Like my, my sympathetic nervous system reacts and I know the feeling of it. And I'll walk into a room and be like, okay, <laughs> there's something here. And then I'll also, I have a very strong sense of smell. So I can usually pick out what it is, but I'm like, I, I just know. And the same thing, even when I, when I'm consuming things, I, I, I can tell. And that's kind of how I reverse engineered bulletproof coffee. I'm like, okay. I feel different on these things and I'm very attuned to the, to, to how my body's doing right now. So then maybe I can lab test this and figure out what's going on and then see if other people notice a difference and whether we can measure a difference with, uh, basically cognitive testing. Lo and behold, we could. It's kind of, uh, it's kind of amazing what happens when some people who have some senses that others don't take those and then look, work on quantifying them. Exactly. Yeah. Have you ever done that with any of your, your senses there? Especially I'm interested in this one where you can sort of detect something in the air. Do you like, look at results of a lab test, say, oh, actually, I really did taste formaldehyde or whatever it was. No, I mean, usually it, certain things um, like chemical, for example, if I, if I, I, I don't even smell, I don't always necessarily smell something, but I taste it. So there were, there have been a couple times when people next door were spraying some kind of um, bug, like killer, I don't know what they were trying to hit, some kind of insecticide that has no odor. And I was tasting this chemical and I went outside and I was like, what? I smell, I taste something going on. And I, and then I realized that the guy was spraying this chemical and nobody else could smell it. He said, you can't smell it. It's odorless. I said, I know, but I, I taste it. I can taste the chemical. So it's, it's not non-volatile. It just doesn't have any smell that's perceptible. But as far as doing any kind of chemical analysis, no, it's just been, it's just been the kind of like canary in the coal mine kind of thing. So now, now there's a group of people listening to this who are going, oh, for God's sake, like these people are talking about like being canaries and whatever else. <laughs> How do you respond? I think it's a recessive gene. I think we probably all used to have this and it's just kind of gotten bred out. Or Yeah. Uh, the, the fact that it's there and some people can detect that it's there and some people can't, but it's there is it's kind of interesting. And you could say, well, because I don't detect it, it doesn't matter. Um, but I think that <laughs> the evidence is not in your favor if that's your argument. <laughs> Anything that anything that has that toxic toxic aspect and you can detect it if you have this super sense, if you want to call it that, that means that it's a potential carcinogen in your body. So you immediately avoid those kind of things, whereas other people would just be exposed to them and not really in, be oblivious to it. I mean, especially touching things, putting toxic body lotions. I mean, that's something that people do all the time. It's like, oh, read the ingredients. What's in that stuff? <laughs> we, <laughs> I put anything like that on my skin. It's like, bleh, bleh. Yeah, we have a rule in, in my house because I, I have two young kids. And it's if you wouldn't be willing to put it in your mouth, you shouldn't put it on your skin. And that's not to say that the, it's, all of our soap tastes great. But it means if you put it in your mouth, it's not really going to harm you. And like that's a generally good rule. If the ingredients in there are things that don't belong inside, they don't belong outside. Yeah. I agree. 100%. The reason I asked you that is that you were engineering submarines. And I mean, did you actually go aboard submarines that you worked engineering on? I did. Yeah. Actually, when I was working at Lockheed, when I first got hired there, they, you know, I had to go down to the naval base, which is on Coronado Island. And we, the, one of the projects that I was working on was the deep submergence rescue vehicles, which are, you see them in the infrared October, that movie, mm -hmm. which designed to go down, rescue a distressed sub, take the people, not that they don't rescue the sub, they take the people 
you know, up and down from the, the distress sub. And yeah, I had to go inside there and they're like, okay, so you know, you're an engineer on these, so you can go down for a ride in the sub. You get to go down. I have claustrophobia. So I went in and I'm like, it's so small in here. I got to get out anyway. So yeah, I didn't, I didn't actually, I went into them, but I didn't ever go underwater. I don't think I could handle that. It always seemed to me that submarines would be the most unhealthy place possible because you have all sorts of weird vibrations which mess with your biology in ways that most people aren't aware of. Um, so physical vibrations, and there's tests of like truck drivers and all where it causes long-term weird neurological things. And you have like horrible quality lighting and bad recycled air and bad food and no sunlight. And like, could you design a more hostile environment for humans? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I would not want to have to spend any extended period of time in one of those things. Got and then it. the possibility of getting stuck down underwater, that's a whole separate job. So, so you designed them, but you didn't go hang out on them very often. And I, I got it. it. It seems like with your level of sense and taste that you're like, wow, diesel. I smell diesel. And, and that would be all you'd ever smell. So Even flying on an airplane, you know, when they rev up the engines before you take off, I'm just like, oh. So, so that they put something in jet fuel that is a neurotoxin, and they put it in there specifically because it makes the the fuel less likely to aerosolize in case of an accident. So they don't want you dire, dying in a fireball, which is you know, probably a good goal. The problem is that the pilots don't turn off air intake when they're revving the engines, so you get unburned jet fuel cycling through the cabin. And there's a whole bunch of pilots now who've been permanently neurologically disabled. I had some of them reach out to me and they're like, Dave, like no one, no one hears about this and flight attendants too. So I'll tell you what I do when I get on a jet, I can hold my breath for two minutes. And if I smell jet fuel, I just sit there and hold my breath for a while because I don't want to breathe it. I want to let it recycle through. And if not, I'll, I'll like breathe through my sleeve to at least hopefully some of the particles like get stuck on my sleeve. Maybe I look weird. I actually don't care that I look weird, but it's not okay to breathe jet exhaust. And if you're a pilot and you're listening to this, please turn off the air intake before you rev up the engines so that people like me who fly all the time don't die of weird brain diseases. All right. Yeah, totally. I, I, my experience has been that they tend to last longer than two minutes, but I yeah. mean, it may just be that sensitivity, but it'd probably be a good idea to bring like a little air, you know, one of those little toxic air filter things that are pretty small. Yeah, I've, I've considered it because I do fly an awful lot and I know how bad it is, but it probably scares the living crap out of all the passengers around you. Well, you just look like you're from China. <laughs> Fair point. There are people who wear those if, if they work. There. Yeah, I suppose if there's no wires coming out of it, you're okay. But uh, yeah, exactly. It's just paper and a little. So now we've talked about airplanes and submarines, neither one of which I was figuring we'd talk about. Let's get into some of the things that you're going to be talking about here coming up at uh, uh, things from the Bulletproof Conference. Things like light. Listeners are probably wondering at this point, like, all right, we know light makes vitamin D, for instance. Okay, big deal. But what you're talking about is the specific color and frequency and biophotonics. Like, what's the physics and, and the science behind what you're doing? Okay, so biophotonics is this big body of research that's going on all around the world. There are all kinds of scientific researchers that are involved in biophotonics research. What they what this is based on is the fact that the human body actually emits light. We give off light 
And they now have a camera, a very sensitive CCD camera that was developed, and they finished it in 2009 at Kyoto University. And you can actually photograph individual photons of light that are coming off of that are coming off of humans. So we now know that we do take in light and we give off light. We're very much like plants in the way that plants use photosynthesis to create energy and to basically survive and thrive. And the whole concept of um, biophotons started in 1922 with um, Alexander Gurbich, who was a researcher. He was actually studying community. He wasn't studying anything about communication between plants, but what he discovered is that plants actually communicate with each other. And he didn't have the technology back then to prove that they were doing some kind of communication, but it turned out they were communicating through UV light. So in 1972, Dr. Fritz Albert Popp, who is in Germany, and he's kind of the, the, the father or grandfather of the whole biophotonics movement around the world, he wanted to prove this theory that we actually do give off light emissions. And he had a, one of his PhD students who didn't believe that we, we give off light. He said, okay, you build, you build me a machine that will prove that we don't emit light as human beings. And the PhD student actually built a machine that proved that we do. So that was a photo multiplier back then. So he basically was like, oh, okay, I guess we do give off light. So anyway, so Dr. Fritz Albert Pop ever since then has been doing research on this and has discovered that when we have cancer in our bodies, our, the light communication that is happening between our cells is not happening properly. The cancer cells actually scramble the light communication. It sounds very esoteric and woo-woo, but it's actually, um, yeah. If you think of how plants live, how humans live, we're designed to live under sunlight. So many people nowadays are not getting sunlight at all. So we have all of these increased cases of cancer. There's been this whole myth about Sunlight is bad for you, causes cancer, and it's totally not true. Um, it actually, lack of sunlight actually causes cancer, pretty much every kind of cancer. But don't sunburns cause cancer, but sunlight doesn't cause cancer? Sunburns, yes. Sunburn is bad, yes. but what's called chronic sunlight exposure, which means regular sun exposure, not just going out once a month and then getting a sunburn. I don't know if you can see the difference between my regularly exposed arm and my farmer tan line here, but, but I see, I see yeah, like I, I have chronic sun exposure. It's called a tan, but yeah. <laughs> no, 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 but that's good. I yeah, mean, I chronic exposure is good because a tan is the healthy way that the body responds to sunlight and UVA and UVB, but not just, there's, there's all kinds of scientific evidence now that it's not just the UVA and the UVB, it's sunlight in general. There was just a, pub, a study published um, this year, just a few months ago, that was done in Sweden, and it was testing 30,000 women over 20 years, and it correlated their amount of sun exposure to all-cause mortality, which means that they died from anything that they died from. There was a, they were twice as likely to die from anything with, when they got less sun exposure. Does that make sense? Makes great sense. Yes. So the whole biophotonics thing ties in directly with we are we're we're designed to live under sunlight. We're designed to take in light and use it for cellular processes and then that's how we live and thrive and a lot of people don't get any light anymore. They only get artificial light and there's all kinds of problems with lack of melatonin and 
Okay, so, uh, any, so, any of these directions and go. I get it. So, so light has an impact on our circadian rhythm, and and I think anyone who's listened to this podcast for a while would understand. Okay, light makes vitamin D. Bright light at night lowers melatonin. And if you've heard the talks with Steve folks, even red light in the morning and at night to affect cortisol production. So these are hormones that are controlled by the color of your light and the intensity to a certain point. The thing that you want to avoid is blue light. You want to avoid blue light except in the morning, right? Because blue light wakes you up in the morning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. I'm just saying at night, nighttime, you want to avoid blue light because mm-hmm. blue light suppresses melatonin production. We right, have blue right. light photoreceptors in our eyes. So you want to avoid blue light, and certainly uh, that's something that we do in our house. So we, I have dimmer switches, and we actually have amber-colored uh, lights, like special ones that are with little switches. I, I carry them on the website, but they're not a big part of Bulletproof, but they're just something that's like, hey, if you have especially young children, and you have to wake up at night for them to pee or for you to pee if you're pregnant, and you're turning on bright lights every time, your kids won't sleep well, and then you won't sleep well, and then life isn't very good. But if you have little night lights that don't disrupt melatonin, and they're in the hallway, like everybody wins. So that's, that's what we have at my house. You just make sure they're not blue, because a, a lot of night lights are blue. Yeah. Oh, these are amber lights. They're specifically zero blue. Perfect. Amber's yeah. the perfect color for a nightlight, if you have to have a nightlight. Uh, yeah, and we don't sleep with those. The, the rooms are pitch black, and, and if your kids are afraid of the dark, they'll get over it. Uh, mine were always in the dark, so they were never afraid of it because that's just how you sleep, and their rooms are pitch black, and it's it works. It's much healthier. So, all right, so we understand all those things, but you're talking about, okay, it's not UVA, it's not UVB, it's not hormone signaling. Like, like there's some other magic in light. What is that? Do we know? And I accept that there's something special about sunlight, and I think we know some things about it, but what are the things that people don't know about sunlight? Like, what, what's in there? Well, you know, besides all the research that's been done on the UVA and UVB from sunlight, there's all kinds of research on specific wavelengths of light that are used for healing applications. So red, for most of the research has been done on red and blue light, yeah. all sorts of wavelengths of red and blue light and near infrared. Um, and this, a lot of people might not realize that when you go into the sun, sunlight is white light, which consists of all the spectral colors. So red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, and violet light, when you put them all together, it makes white light. And we see these spectral colors whenever you see a rainbow in the sky. So if it rains, there's little water that's left in the air. And then there's like this uh, reflecting and refracting property of the white light that splits up the white light into all its spectral colors. So that's where you get the rainbow effect, which is just like when you see Newton's, you know, he shone white light into a prism and it splits up into the seven spectral colors like the Dark Side of the Moon album cover. I knew you were going to bring up Pink Floyd. It had to happen. (laughs) Well, everybody knows that image, so they might not know that it was, you know, Isaac Newton, but they'll, they'll recognize the Dark Side of the Moon. Anyway, so sunlight has all of these colors in it. So all of the research that's been done on all the different wavelengths of colored light, again, mostly red, near infrared, and blue. Okay, so a few examples. One that one that many people have heard of. This is probably the most common one. Babies are often, you know, they're born, and then within a few days of being born, they develop jaundice. And what they do in the hospitals, it's been the hospital standard since the 1950s, they put the baby under blue light, a specific wavelength of blue light, 458 is kind of what's considered optimal, although now there's new research that says actually even more into the green is even better. for. So what happens is you shine blue light on the baby's skin, so it's absorbing blue light through the skin, goes into the blood, it converts the bilirubin, which is circulating in the blood, changes the isomer structure of the bilirubin, and then the baby can excrete it through the, through the bile and the urine. 
whereas otherwise it stays circulating in the body. And very high levels of bilirubin can actually be extremely dangerous and cause brain damage and things like that. So blue light is the only treatment that they use in hospitals now. And it's kind of taken for granted. It's like people, some people think it's UV, it's not UV light. But you can do the same thing. You can take your baby, instead of like paying extra time and money for the hospital stay, you can take your baby home and put the baby in the sun. And I know a number of people who have done that. But, it's uh, my, my son had a little bit of that going on. We took him outdoors and amazing, it just went away. You know, it's, and, and it's very fast. Yeah. Yeah. So, the, oh, go ahead. I was saying I actually have blue lights and red lights, and I've used color therapy and various like things for collagen synthesis for a long time, but it, it's unnecessary. I'm like, oh, we could do something more frequency specific if needed, but it wasn't. Yeah. yeah, the I always tell people any type of you know light therapy device, and I have you know this one I use for delayed sleep phase syndrome. If I wanted, if I wanted to the change Philips my, one, yeah, yeah, the Philips. Yeah, they sell those at Costco now. Like they, they work. I live in Canada. I know. I yeah. know. They're so. Yeah, it's great. Anyway, and uh, those are the um, it, it affects the whole the pineal gland, melatonin um, secretion, and that sort of thing. So the 466 to 477 nanometer range in blue light is what affects our blue light photoreceptors, and that corresponds to a clear blue sky. So that's the color that I showed you there. That's the color of the clear blue sky, and that's a much brighter brighter light than you would get. You know, if you're sitting, oh, I don't know, outside. It's you. You the the reason that you use these is if you have, for example, seasonal affective disorder. If you're living in a place where it's a cloudy climate, you're not getting you're not getting exposure to that blue light. Or people that have, like I said, delayed sleep phase syndrome, where your your body clock kind of gets thrown off, which I've I've had a few times in the past because I push myself past my time of sleepiness and I work late and anyway and then you so you you go to bed really late you can't go to bed earlier than that three or four in the morning you wake up really late then you're kind of lethargic your whole biorhythm body clock thing is thrown off so that's a really good way to reset your body clock it's also really good for jet lag and I used to use a, a similar device when I would fly from basically the West Coast in the U.S. all the way to London every four to six weeks, which is just the worst direction, the worst amount of time. And I, I did a lot of experiments on jet lag there, including you know, the effect of, of earthing, uh, as well as carrying one of those little lights with me and timing food and exercise, all sorts of stuff to try and manipulate body temperature. And yeah, you know, bright lights and, and touching the ground seem to really be the big keys and eating a lot. I haven't done earthing for jet lag. No, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty big actually. Yeah. About 20 minutes at least. Uh, I, I discovered it. I didn't discover earthing, but I I'd heard something about it. And I just remember I did all these experiments and I did yoga one, the one time it was sunny in the UK. <laughs> um, I did yoga in a park and I had no jet lag. And the other times I do it in my hotel room and it didn't work. And it, it took me actually till I, I stopped doing that much travel. And I realized, wait, that's what it was. And I tried it now. I always, especially when I'm going long distances, like to Australia or somewhere, um, I make a point to walk around barefoot for a while and I, I will travel within the US with a grounding, uh, like an earthing sheet. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, I just didn't know anything about, yeah, the connection with the earthing it, and the... It's pretty the, big, yeah. Oh. But that plus changing that plus changing your light, like I, I've found that and just getting my nutrition right, like jet lag, like whatever, it, it's not really a big deal. Well, I knew, I knew, I just intuitively knew this years ago about, you know, it's like if you're going to a new place, then go out, go out in the middle of the day. I have a feeling that we just, our body will reset its clock when you, you know immediately by the color that's in the sky 
what time of day it is where you are. So your body be like, oh, I'm not, I'm not in Kansas anymore. <laughs> I'm in London. Yeah, and and it, it's interesting too because where the light falls in your visual field matters too. Like our bodies are so cool, and we're so unaware of these levels. But you know, bright blue lights up here, you know, above your the line of the horizon are different than bright than bright blue lights shining up because different really? quadrants. I anything about that? Oh yeah. So that with the with the Philips Go light, they always tell you to have it kind of at at table level and shining up into your eyes. Uh, which is very different from going out into the sun. It, it is. And, and uh, I, certainly uh, some of the, especially some of the functional movement stuff, but there's a quadrant in each eye and different quadrants in each eye affect different parts of the brain even. And like light sound goggles, the expensive ones, like the ones I, I've got, they actually have different lights in different quadrants because you can actually pattern the brain differently depending on how you do it, which is fascinating. And it's just something that isn't in common knowledge. So people don't think about that. Uh, and in my own case, because I have problems in my left visual field, and I have likely from probably something in utero, like it, it's uh, the my upper left visual field isn't that strong, and I tend to get the most neurological stress from lights up here. But it's interesting; lights over here don't do the same thing, but you'd think they would, and it's 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 quite interesting. Fascinating. Well, there's a lot about you know in NLP about the different where when you're communicating or when you're thinking and accessing different parts of the brain where your eyes actually look. So there's probably some connection with that, I imagine. There, there certainly must be, right? One of the other things about light I wanted to ask you about was what about um, healing, like speeding up healing using light? Have you worked with that at all? Yeah, red light is very good for that. I mean, red light actually stimulates the mitochondria of the cells. So you can use red or near-infrared. And it, um, NASA discovered, well... This, again, is a rediscovery. A lot of these things go way back. So in the scientific proof came, you know, first in 2001 with NASA when they realized that using a certain wavelength of red light, 660 is usually considered to be the optimal wavelength of red light. And you can shine that on the, on the skin and it will heal wounds more quickly. It will stimulate collagen. It will, for if you want to go deeper into the body, because red only go depending on the wavelength, it will go to a certain depth. Near infrared will go deeper because the wavelengths are longer. So near infrared, 880 nanometers is a common one, and that can be used for treating arthritis, for healing bones, for um, they're doing experiments with treating for treating MS using red light, uh, multiple sclerosis. What else? Nerve regeneration, paralysis. There's a whole list. I have I have a number of them cited in my uh, YouTube video and color color consciousness and healing talk that I have on YouTube. We'll uh, we'll, we'll link to that uh, for everyone who's who's listening. And it, it I've actually got lasers like like medical grade lasers that use most of these frequencies because you can get further into the body or even into the brain to simulate mitochondria with them. And it should sound a little bit scary. And shining lasers into your brain, you kind of want to know what you're doing, but it it's something that is done in some medical offices today, especially for people with traumatic brain injury and things like that. But you can increase mitochondrial function with a light shining on your skin. Like should, we should pay attention to this, right? <laughs> you can, you can do it on your brain. You don't need a laser. You can use incoherent light as well. Yeah. You can use, um, you know, any kind of, we, they're doing research in the UK with 1072 nanometer near infrared light and for treating Alzheimer's and dementia. We've got one of these like contraptions. This is a $12 light from Amazon, 850 nanometers, very bright, powerful LED. If you shine this at your brain for too long, it will cook your brain. It's bad. 
Um, I took the filter off. But if you shine it for just a little while, you actually can grow more mitochondria. Hmm. Kind of interesting. Before this, I used a single LED since about 1997. I've had one super high power LED at this uh, frequency that dramatically improved the way my brain worked. Well, that would, that would actually be really good for any kind of muscular or bone or anything like that because that Or gut. Yeah. Yeah. Any, any of those. So I'll have to look for that one. Okay. It's, it's just 850 nanometer, 45 degree beam angle LED from Amazon. I had to like, I think I had to tape on a power supply of some sort. But like, you can hurt yourself with a light like this, right? Like a, a powerful light like this. What happens if you get too much light? Well, the thing about incoherent light as opposed to coherent light, lasers are coherent light, so they actually can cause damage. Every, what everybody says and the research says is that with incoherent light, which is exactly what sunlight is, you're not going to cause damage because the cells will shut themselves off. when They, they kind of get full, mm -hmm. and then they're like, that's enough, I won't take it anymore. But with lasers, the cells can't shut themselves off, so they kind of... They, you can cause damage, you can blow out energy, you know, meridians, acupuncture meridians and stuff like that. So it's, it's safer to use LED in general. I have, I've used red and near infrared for, you know, 40, 50 minutes, an hour. No, no problem. If I'm, you know, I've, I've, I have light on me, I'm treating something, you know, neck pain or yeah. whatever, shoulder pain. And yeah, no problems. I mean, it kind of like, you kind of know when it's done because the pain just goes away and then you can stop. But sometimes I don't turn, but I haven't had any negative side effects. And the research, the research, all the research that I've read has said you can't overdose on the LED. You can very much do a lot of damage with laser coherent light. It, it may also depend on, on heating effects if you're using the far infrared LEDs and things like that. But, but the. Oh, yeah, you don't want far, far infrared isn't used for healing. It's only the near infrared. Uh, right. And, but even near infrared can have a heating effect, right? Like it can get too hot. Yeah. Well, uh, yes. And well, you actually do feel it as heat, though. So if it starts to get hot, then. Except in the brain where you don't have nerves. You go to sleep with these things yeah. attached to your body. In, in fact, all right, I don't know if I. Yeah, the brain. I don't know how long they're doing that. Like the guys in the UK, there's a Dr. Dougal that's been doing, mm -hmm. he's got this helmet that's a 1072 nanometer helmet. I want and that thing. You want it? <laughs> they're very affordable now. They're like under $2,000. Oh, really? Buy them, yeah. Oh, they my sell goodness. They're, because they're funding their own research program instead of trying to go the conventional way. They're, they're, they're selling the helmets to be able to do the research. And Dr. Uh, not Dr. Um, Sir Terry Pratchett, who's the sci-fi writer, uh -huh. who's diagnosed with Alzheimer's years ago. And then they, they worked with him a few years ago. I can't remember exactly what year it was. Again, it's in my YouTube top. But, but he, he actually had reversal of his Alzheimer's symptoms and is still writing now and thought that he'd be kind of like out of it by now because of the progression is Alzheimer's. So and improving mitochondrial function it can only help. Like it, it's unlikely to cause cause problems for almost anything. Exactly. They're also using red light for stem cell regeneration. I've certainly started shining red light on myself like at night because it doesn't disrupt my circadian rhythm and it's good for my cells, good for my mitochondria. It's I just like if, if you do a, a conference call with me at night, it looks like I'm in like a disco or something because it's just red light. Right. I mean, you can just have a light shining on you all the time. You can even get like the adjustable, you know, the little, I don't know if you can see it, these kind of things. Where's my little remote control? Well, you're, well, you're pulling that up. Uh, I have to say, I'm going to see if I can get one of these helmets at the conference, uh, the Bulletproof Biohacking Conference on September 26th, because we, we have all kinds of biohacking toys that you can play with, but heck, for that matter, maybe I'll just wear it around. 
That's a near infrared lamp? Or is no, that your this, red light? This one is just a multicolored one. Oh, okay. But it's like I a $30 bulb, right? Yeah. Yeah, they're they're 20 to $30. I've done spectrometer readings on this to see what the actual wavelengths. Yeah. This, this isn't really, I mean, there are certain, there's diodes that are made with certain chemicals that emit certain frequencies or wavelengths. And this, I think, had, I did spectrometer readings a few weeks ago on this, and it had, I think, like eight maybe eight different wavelengths that it was emitting so or maybe not even that many. It's, it might've, it's still daylight for me, but uh, I have red led tape lights from Costco that let you control frequency. They're above my desk. So if you're watching this, instead of just listening in your car, uh, if you're on YouTube or iTunes, uh, the Bulletproof radio channel, uh, you'll see that I just turned like this bright red color. Cause I'm underneath red lights. You're, you're pink all of a sudden. Yeah. It's, it's a sunburn, but it, it's, it's kind of a, a quick and, and dirty thing you can do. And it can change the quality of your morning. And if you have red and blue in the morning, it does one thing if you have just blue. Bottom line is, this has an effect on you. And if you're in an office and there's fluorescent lights above you that are not at all a natural color spectrum, what do those typically do to people? Yeah, well, actually, a lot of the, a lot of the non-full spectrum, the fluorescent lights that are typically used, have a, a very high percentage of blue light. If you get too much blue light and you get constant blue light, it actually makes you agitated. Yeah, I'll say. Like, you overdose on the blue light because your body's like, I, it's like middle of the day all the time. And you, you actually can get very jittery. Um, who was it in the 1980s? Oh, my God, I'm blanking on his name. But he did studies in elementary schools. And studied children under the effects yeah. of fluorescent yeah. light. Um, Donald. Ott, yes. Was it Ott or was it because Jacob Lieberman, light medicine of the future guy? He was it. Oh my god. We'll put it in the show notes. So we'll, we'll make sure we find it because it's shocking. TikTok. I have so many names that I have to remember. Anyway, but he studied the effects of um, using fluorescent lighting in schools versus using full-spectrum lighting. Um, when you put in full-spectrum lighting, the ADHD dropped down to, like, you know, insignificant 77% drop in those type of hyperactivity behaviors, better learning, better uh, not information retention, better health of the children. Yeah. They're doing a study right now in Germany doing a similar thing. And they did one recently also in the UK. All the studies have shown the same thing. Full spectrum lighting in schools is much more beneficial than any of the, the fluorescent lights that are typically commonly used. And also in offices. In, yeah. um, in I don't know if you know this, but in uh, Holland, they there are a number of companies that have integrated this you know, the whole concept of blue light and they have these adjustable panels where they, they have fully adjustable lighting in their offices. So they have a panel where you can say, okay, I want it. I want, I forget what the settings I'll say, but something like alert or calm or things like that. So basically you turn up the blue light in the morning and then you turn up the blue light after lunch Yeah, because that's when people have that dip you know, that energy dip. So the blue light, they just turn up the blue light and they don't have to like use a knob or anything. They just push a button and uh, people wake up, their productivity goes up. It's pretty, pretty cool. If you wanted to make people like stupid and obedient, what color would you use? Oh, stupid and obedient. Huh. Stupid and obedient. I'd probably just keep with the fluorescent lights. 
<laughs> Me too, but I, I wasn't fishing for that. But no, I, I'm just wondering, part of the reason that I'm a biohacker is that these technologies and these effects are real and they're measurable and there's science behind them. And most people don't know about them, which means if someone is using them for their benefit, not yours, and you don't know it's possible, you won't think about it. But if you think about it, hmm, I could hack myself with these. Someone else can be hacking you too. So I've been in light environments that make me feel incredibly stupid. In fact, you go to a big box store, Okay, big box stores, I'm talking like, you know, a, a Bed Bath & Beyond or a Walmart or whatever. Okay, they want you to buy the most things. They study store lighting very, very carefully because why do you think they're so over-illuminated? Huh. Right? So you go in there, at, especially at evening, it's like a, a pulsing sun in there in terms of brightness. Well, people... Well, they don't want you getting sleepy. They want you to no. buy a lot. Well, and they want you a little disoriented. So you go in there, I was like going to buy, I don't know, some of this, some of this, some of this. And you go to there like, why did I just buy all this stuff? I think, honestly, this is not a nefarious plan that some evil lighting genius did. I think that they just did some basic studies. And neither of those two companies, just the big box retail environment people, and said, hmm, like... Average revenues go up when we increase lighting intensity using fluorescence, and they do. But it's probably because people make worse decisions. Like, I'm just going to go in, I'm going to buy this one thing, and you walk out of there going, why did I just do that? And I became, I've always felt odd and, and just kind of disoriented when I go into stores like that, and I always thought it was the air. But if I put on a hat and sunglasses, I don't feel like that. And my kids go bonkers under that kind of lighting. Like, I have really... bouncing off the walls. Yeah, they're like well-behaved kids for the most part, aside from normal things kids do. But they go in there and you're like, those, like, wow, <laughs> that, that's not normal. And if same thing, you put hats on them, it takes them 10 more minutes to go bonkers. So it's repeatable and it's probably happening to other people's kids because I don't think that I'm that abnormal. Well, maybe I am, but... <laughs> No, but I mean, yeah, that might explain why you see so many unruly children in those kind of places I, running around screen. I, I think it's a part of it. And I know that that in my case, you know, people see me wearing my, my cool orange biohacker glasses. Those are Erlen lenses where it's a custom tint. It's just the color that makes my brain relax the most. And it's different for different people. But when I wear those in an office environment under fluorescence, I'm pretty good all day. If I don't wear those... In a meeting after like 45 minutes, I'm kind of like, man, my my visual stress is causing my brain to not work very well. And then I'm kind of dopey. I don't like being dopey. So like, I don't really care if I have to wear you know a clown hat. I'll wear that too, as long as my brain works the way I want it to work. Well, you said they're amber though, right? Uh, mine are actually a mix of rose and amber and a little bit of gray. That's what causes the most relaxation. Okay. Interesting. Well, the amber, because the amber cuts out blue, blue wavelength. Yeah. The excessive blue from fluorescence, it helps with that for sure. And it also increased contrast. And for me, uh, I think increasing contrast causes relaxation because my brain doesn't work so hard to, to tease out the contrast. But it, uh, Helen's also going to be speaking at the, the Bulletproof conference. And it's, it's very interesting because it can be a personal effect of light on you, as well as some general principles about red and blue light that are biological effects. Um, what about blink rate of lights, though? That's something that I think you might know something about. How important is it whether lights are flickering or not flickering? Well, what they do know is that with fluorescent fluorescent lights that have that that have that very subtle flicker, that causes a lot of the stress and agitation. As far as pulse rates for for healing effects, the the research that I've read, which and I'm I'm kind of focused on healing the physical mm -hmm. body. I'm, I've most of the studies that I've been doing have been about using specific wavelengths of light for healing, for eliciting certain responses in the body, for healing cancer, you know, affecting melatonin suppression and that sort of thing. 
So what I've read about pulse rates in light therapy devices is that there isn't enough valid research that supports it for any kind of physical healing modality. I don't know about any kind of psychological effect with it because I haven't gone into that realm, but I do know that there are a lot of, there are a lot of light therapy device companies that create these things and they, they make them a lot more expensive than they need to be because they're putting in certain, well, it's got this pulse rate and this pulse rate, and this is supposed to heal this tissue faster. And this does that, but everything says it's, we, we respond um, very effectively to just regular old incoherent light, just like the sun puts out. Well, that's how we're genetically designed to respond to sunlight and light devices that uh, most sim- are most similar to sunlight have the strongest effect and the fastest healing for basic physical, you know, structures. But I know that you have a light device that does have pulse rates that you use for energizing, I think. I have, I have a, a couple of different lasers that, that do that. The first time I got one, I was frankly a little bit skeptical and I had whiplash. I got hit for about 35 miles an hour from behind and uh, really bad whiplash. And the first time I got whiplash from years before that, it, it took a year of three times a week chiropractic and massage and every everything I could find, I was just in pain. So this next time it was a harder hit. I'm like, oh, I'm in trouble. And a friend, a naturopath said, well, try my laser. And I'm like, whatever. So we're sitting like in a parking lot chatting about something. And after two, three minute sessions with a specific pulse rate on the thing, I felt just like electricity go up my back. And then I felt this, uh, like the muscles just relaxed. It was, it was a very profound and obvious feeling of like, wow, my hands are warm again. I can't believe this. So I said, all right, I have to get one of these. And I got the laser and I was pretty much done with my whiplash in a couple of weeks. I lasered all the time. And it, I used that thing for a long time. And I finally got a, another one that's just a more powerful laser that's got some violet in it as well. It had LEDs, red LEDs and uh, infrared laser uh, and red laser, actually. And you could put it on uh, on your, your gut and it'll stop nausea and on your head, it'll stop headache. And it causes a reduction in inflammation in the nerves it helps you resynthesize or basically recycle ATP. So it helps you rephosphorylate it at about 75% more efficiently and raises nitric oxide. So you can put it like in areas where you want engorgement and it'll help to cause that. And it, it's, it's very noticeable. And the pulse rate is something with your eyes closed, you still can feel a difference between the different settings. So I think there's something to the pulse rate, but I agree. There isn't very much science. And what science there is goes back to like the rife frequencies from Royal Rife back in the 20s. And like it, it is some airy fairy stuff there. But I, I'll tell you, blindfolded, I can tell you if it's if it's on a fast or a slow pulse and there's something going on. I just don't know what it is. Yeah, well, the, the, I, I read one, one study that was a, specifically, it was a meta-analysis where they take a whole bunch of studies and one, you know, one group studies all of the other studies. And they were looking for statistical correlation between the validity, you know, for the validity of pulse rates versus non-pulse rate light therapy. And with, for all the things that they were specifically testing it for, like wound healing and that sort of thing. And I can't remember what all, what all else they were correlating it with but they found that in almost all cases the pulse rate the non-pulse rate has stronger healing effect than the pulse rate it doesn't mean that the pulse rate doesn't work the pulse rate light doesn't work it was just not as effective as the as the non-pulse rate and i think there might have been one situation where they found that the using a pulse rate was more effective and you know again these were studying all kinds of other research studies so i think it's you know 
whatever, whatever works for people. I do know that, you know, using just red and near infrared on any kind of, you know, even people with longstanding shoulder injuries has, you know, in just a few weeks has healed, completely healed the shoulder that all kinds of physiotherapy and surgery and other things didn't heal. And the light therapy very quickly completely healed the problem. I recommend people start with the cheap stuff. There's no question about it. Like that's my, yeah, that $12 Amazon light. And there's great evidence. I've even seen the studies about pulse rate you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. It, were you pointing at the sun? Was that? Well, I don't yeah. have any sun right now. It's dark here now, but um, yeah, sunlight free. It, the important thing, and I, I did want to stress about this, that a lot of times people think that going out in the sun, well, First, there's the myth that it actually causes cancer. It doesn't. People who work indoors are much more likely to get melanoma than people who work outdoors. There's all kinds of scientific evidence that UVB and UVA, when you get them together, the UVB has a protective factor against any kind of damaging effects of the UVA. The vitamin vitamin D in your body actually kills any kind of malignant cells. So people are constantly getting cancer. We get It's a normal part of being a human. We're, we get cancer, we get these precancerous cells. If you have a healthy body, your body's constantly killing them. It gets rid of them before they turn into a problem. So if you have sufficient vitamin D levels from UVB exposure, which comes from sunlight, then you, you won't get cancer. I mean, it's very simple. And there, there are all kinds of research studies. And again, me, another meta-analysis that came up this year that was vitamin D directly correlated with all of these types of cancer. Increased vitamin D, low reduced yeah. probability of all kinds of cancer, okay. not just death rates, you know. Higher vitamin D, lower probability of dying. That's one of the reasons it's the number one supplement on the, the Bulletproof set of recommendations. But th- there's also something that happens around sulfation of vitamin D and only in sunlight. So even if you have vitamin D in the body, if you don't get sunlight hitting the bottom, you don't hitting the body, you don't get vitamin D sulfate. So you have to have sulfur present, i.e. MSM or sulfur-bearing foods like eggs. And then you have to have sunlight hitting it. And that has probably a whole nother set of, of behaviors that we're just discovering in the body. So sunlight's a good thing, but people don't get sunlight. Like I live in Canada where like the sun is an occasional visitor. Should we be using some other kind of, uh, you know, some other kind of light, like a, a sun lamp? Well, there are there are um, tanning beds that have UVB that are emitted. You have to make sure it's the right kind of tanning bed. They're kind of few and far between. I don't know if they're becoming more common now. But, yes, you can get tanning beds that are for safe sun exposure with UVB or using vitamin D supplementation. The problem with vitamin D supplementation, which it's actually a good thing to supplement with vitamin D because, again, if you're not getting sun exposure – then you need to get some kind of vitamin D. So hormone D, it's actually a hormone in the body. It's um, a misnomer to call it a vitamin. It's a precursor to a hormone that controls basically every cellular response in the body. So it's a really, really important thing to have. And at least 50% of the world population is deficient in vitamin D. So it's becoming an epidemic uh, where we have all of these illnesses cardiovascular disease, all kinds of things that are correlated with low vitamin D levels. So the best way to get vitamin D production is through sunlight because we metabolize vitamin D3 that's produced naturally in our bodies a very different way than we metabolize artificial vitamin D that we ingest. Um, You can't overdose on naturally produced vitamin D3. um, Our bodies actually store it in the winter months. So if you get 
what's called chronic sun exposure. You get regular sun exposure. Our bodies build up our vitamin D levels, and then it's, it's designed to use it over the winter months when there's less sun. And even in places like Texas, um, you know, Austin, where I am, there are certain times of the year where you have to have the right angle for, of, of the, the sun and the UVB coming in to even be able to produce uh, vitamin D. So it, you have to have a 50-degree angle of the sun. And if you don't have right. that, you're right. not going to get vitamin D production. So in those times, yeah, you want to supplement. And really, the only way to truly know what your, what your proper amount of supplementation is is to get your vitamin D levels checked. It's a really simple blood test. Okay. So we're coming up on the end of the show, and people can hear more of what you know about light uh, when they come to the Bulletproof Conference, September 26th through 28th, bulletproofconference.com. In the meantime, there's one question that I'd like to ask you, and it's a question that everyone on the podcast has answered. Top three recommendations for people who want to perform better in life, not not just from light perspective, but all the things you've learned, the three most important pieces of advice. And because we're running up on the end of the show, it's got to be relatively short. Top three recommendations. Wow. Uh, eating a healthy diet, I mean, is definitely number one. Making sure that you're not ingesting a lot of chemicals and artificial stuff and getting the nutrients that you need. I'm a big advocate of uh, nutrients through food. And getting proper sun exposure, that's another big one. What would my third one be? Third probably doing some kind of meditative practice, getting into flow state and being able to do that on a regular basis. Cause I do teach about how to get into flow on a, on a very easy and regular basis. So that kind of keeps things on an even keel. So you don't get all stressed out. Plus then you're just way more efficient in everything that you're doing. Uh, Leanne, that was really good. Uh, th- thanks for sharing those things because you know, people care about how they can use light or anything else uh, to feel better and perform better. Um, people can learn more at the conference. And what's your URL? Uh, LeanneVenier.com. L-E-A-N-N-E, V as in Victor, E-N-I-E-R.com. Awesome. We'll put that in the show notes. Great. Thank you. And if you've enjoyed this episode today, I'd really appreciate it if you would swing by orderbulletproofdietbook.com and pre-order the book. It's coming out December 2nd, but if you order it now, I'll send you a whole bunch of digital content and it would be an amazing way to say thanks for almost 150 episodes for free of Bulletproof Radio. Thank you so much. Have an awesome day. Thanks, Dave. Hey, if you haven't heard yet, we've got activated charcoal back in stock. The Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services.
Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.